You are listening to the Indie Game Development Podcast Show, sponsored by CurioSoft Kids Games and the letter E. Visit the Indie Game Development Podcast site at www.indiegamepod.com. Thanks again for listening to the show. This interview is inspired by a quick meetup at the Game Developers Conference. Hi, I'm at uh, GDC, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Miguel Tartag. I'm the lead designer and owner of Cat Games, developer of Dream Chronicles 1 and 2. Um, can you explain what types of games those are? Uh, I beg your pardon? Can you explain what types of games or what genre of games? Casual games in general. Lately, adventure casual games. And um, how did you go about developing your latest game that you released? Um, okay, this is, is the sequel of Dream Chronicles 1, which was what I believe is the f- actual um, first casual game, ad- adventure casual game in the in this space. And it was possible after making a deal with PlayFirst. Um, it was a bit ambitious at the time we, we started to develop it. Now, you said that this is the first adventure game in the casual game genre. What inspired you to do that? Because um, have you played casual game or adventure games before? Yeah, in mid-90s, when I guess that was the golden era. Sure. Um, I loved them. And I thought it was a bit of a shame that uh, they weren't introduced in the casual space. So, first of all, it was challenging because of... I don't know, the amount of text that sometimes they need or uh, the level of immersion the player needs. Casual games generally are very easy to take and fast. And uh, an adventure is hard um, to do that in the beginning. So it was a challenge, and um, but we really enjoy it. And um, we came up with a few little things that made it possible. When you were uh, pitching this game, did you try to pitch it to play first, first, or did you try to go to other publishers, or did you try to develop it on your own, and then once you were finished, you showed it to them? No, I went to another two before. They liked it. They didn't love it, probably because there weren't any adventure games around. They didn't want to push it. But Playfest loved it, and they were new in the space. They were very excited about it, so they pitched it from the first minute. Now, when you pitched it to them, did you have a prototype done, or did you have any kind of game done, or was it a concept? Yeah, we had a prototype made in Director. We showed a little bit um, the taste or the kind of style we wanted to give it. Yeah, and they liked it. They liked it. Um, were there any concerns that... Um, you know, adventure games were really popular in the mid-90s, and then they died out. Um, did you get any concerns about that and the fact that maybe the adventure genre is dead? Hmm, I don't think so. I think the challenge was more how it was possible to make an adventure game, as I said, no, very easy to take and fast to hook the player from the first few levels. Um, maybe uh, not everybody, everybody afford that that actually uh, could be possible. And as a matter of fact, there are, there are these hidden objects that a lot of times they uh, compare uh, this kind of game with when, with our game, um, which I don't think they're a, re- a real adventure. No, they, 
they kind of have some flavor of adventure, sure. but our purpose was really to merge the player in the adventure. Um, obviously, a hidden object game is a lot easier to design or to think about, and uh, this adventure kind of thing requires um, other things that are more complex. So what were the design challenges to actually get casual gamers hooked onto this game? The first one, I would say, transmit a lot with um, very, very little text, blend properly um, all the um, uh, all the elements of the game, the story, the sound, the graphics, making it um, eye candy, ear candy from the first minute, and um, a pleasing experience almost from the first click. When you were developing this, did you have extensive playtesting? Yes. Yeah. And, and what were the challenges that people were first encountering? Did you have to fundamentally change or change any of the adventure design? Like, if you were if you were modeling it based off stuff in the mid '90s, what did you have to change from that model to make it work in the casual games? In general, um, I would say make things, especially at the beginning. Um, teach people properly and make things uh, easy enough uh, to make it understandable in general. Um, but there are a lot of details, uh, such as the text that I mentioned or the hot spots of objects, especially in the beginning levels. Um, yeah, what did you have to change with the text? Because I know the adventure games in the mid-90s have a lot of text, and that would seem to really turn people off who want to just play a casual game for five or ten minutes. Yeah. Mm, one thing that was very useful is that mm, every level was self-contained, so um, you don't have to think about the other scenes or the surrounding sure. to solve that puzzle. Uh, the challenge was to transmit properly that puzzle visually, with sound, and with little text, you know, so the player would figure out easily how to solve the puzzle itself. And what about hotspot objects? You said you had to do something different with that? No, about just a little detail. Uh, and sometimes a small, a really tiny object wasn't um, interesting enough or visible. Um, so we simply have to change the mask of that object to make it more prominent. Because when you pass over with a mouse, we show um, a tooltip sure. describing roughly what is that object. So in some cases, if that object is too small, it wasn't very visible. Did you have to then make the objects much bigger in general? A bigger pose. Did you have to make the objects much bigger in general for this game? No, 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 no. Um, we really wanted to blend things properly, and that means that um, the graphics had to be compelling, outstanding, but also uh, we shouldn't change the scale of them. No? That's why we changed the mask in some objects. Were there any other surprises or things that you had to do to make this game work for the casual game audience? Mm, let me try to think a little bit. <laughs> sure, take your time. <laughs> I would say um, splitting properly some story elements. We have this book that drives certain things such as side tips, um, richer story details. Uh, but that only happens when you open the book. We didn't want to um, interrupt the playing experience while you're playing, while trying to solve the puzzle. 
so we came up with this structure kind of thing that in the book we give a lot of detail but well, well you play we don't get um, too many details about the story. Um, also your development process were all of you located in the same area or how did that go? Did you have to outsource everything? Mm, basically we draw all the sketches, very detailed sketches. Um, we spent a long time on that so we have um, clear um, view of how the game would be like. And from there we outsourced the graphics to make them in 3D. Um, some people thought, that why in 3D if they are so good? The 2D sketches were superb. But the reason for that is we knew we needed some kind of flexibility. If you have it in 2D, you have the uh, scene already and you cannot change, it's not very easy to change things. You have to redraw many things. In 3D it's so easy. You can change the lining, you can change an object of, to another place or well, so on. So even if it was more expensive, um, cost uh, a lot more in terms of resources and time, at the end of the day it was a lot better to do it in 3D. And um, I can't remember, what else did you ask? Um, did you have to do any other type of development outsourcing? Um, oh yeah, you know? well, the audio. Uh, before this game we did all the audio, audio uh, in-house. Uh, in but Play First um, has a lot of contacts, and we, um, well, they uh, they put us in contact with Summertown, which they did a great job in the audio. It was a new experience for us, outsourcing all the audio, but it was a great experience. Um, also, in terms of uh, challenge, uh, we are based in Spain, and Play First in San Francisco. We have nine hours difference, so somehow it was kind of uh, interesting and uh, sometimes funny. No? Um, we had to figure out uh, a good process to work, um, um, to make it smooth, not the process of development. But basically at the end of the day, uh, we had a few calls during the week and um, they trust a lot on what we were doing. So it was like, um, working alone a little bit, having a few contacts, and it worked. Can you talk about how Play First influenced this game? Um, you know, what types of support or feedback did they give you to help your game be better? The first one was um, usability testing, players testing, uh, very professionally. We never did that before. We always tried our games with friends, family, etc. So that was sort of kind of amateur kind of thing. And this professional um, uh, process was superb. Uh, it was a great experience and it really helps a lot to improve the game very much. Also, obviously, they have a lot of uh, people in, the, in their company that can help with anything. And that is uh, also um, very interesting in, in an ambitious project. Um, because before you even make a mistake, you you have some feedback, no? So you can you can avoid those uh, before making those mistakes. Um, you talked about user testing. Is that something that's done then continuously throughout the whole process, or is that something that Play First did at the end of the whole cycle? No, at first maybe um, not as intense. I would say it was all along the the uh, development, but. Obviously, with some peaks, now uh, giving a lot more importance in certain certain stages, alpha or beta. Um, 
but yeah, I would say all along the process. At the beginning, I guess mostly with uh, there are people working there. No? Sure. Um, you know, were there any benefits then? Would you say it was definitely worthwhile to go through a publisher as compared to doing it on your own? I beg your pardon. Um, some people, like some independent game developers, will try to do their own game and just self-publish. Was there any benefit to going through Play First compared to self-publishing? Yes, uh, we did self-publish uh, all of our games, our previous games. Uh, basically, you are taking a risk and you are betting for that game. Um, in this kind of project, I thought it, was, it wasn't it was a good idea because of several things. One, it was a very expensive project, so the risk was higher. Um, also, with support, we needed support in certain areas. Um, so, a publisher always has um, a lot of strength in all the weaknesses that you may have. If you are talking about a small game, a small project, Maybe it's a good idea to self-publish or at least to release that game and have, get the experience of ending a game. But in the case of uh, an ambitious project that really wants to try to reach the edge of the casual games, really almost breaking a new genre or trying to do so, um, well, I found a lot better to have the support of a publisher. Um, you know, you talked about the hidden like the hidden object genre, I mean, do you think that that is like the equivalent of adventure games? I mean, do you think that an adventure game itself could literally be as successful as a hidden object sh genre game? Because those are really crazy popular in the casual game genre. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I'd like to encourage other developers to make better games than Dream or than any kind of adventure game. Um, I really, I was hoping that someone else would come up before we release Dream Chronicles 2, really uh, overtaken it, no, and reaching another level of adventure castle game. I hope uh, it'll happen. Um, I really hope it, because that m would mean that the genre is creating um, a bigger space, no, and uh, there's a lot of creativity that can be done in an adventure game. Regarding the hidden object games, I think they're fine. Um, it's perfect and uh, it's cool that they try to make an adventure around them. Um, but also, um, I also think that it is possible some kind of innovation, maybe not directly linked to the hidden object games. So that's why I say adventure games rather than hidden object games. Obviously, in an adventure game, um, yeah, you have to seek for something, but ideally, you have to use it. Yeah. And um, yeah, I hope that is the path for adventure games rather than um, knowing what you are looking for and find it on the screen. Well, I mean, maybe for the casual game audience, you you know, just finding something is is the reward. You know, in a traditional adventure game, you do have to find something and then use it. But maybe that's just too too detailed or in too in depth. Have you thought about that, and will that modify your future design? Yeah, of course. Um, um, Hidden object games are a lot more direct. You know precisely what you have to look for uh, from the first minute. In an adventure game, you have to really get into the, the story. You have to get yourself immersed in that story. That's why it's a lot more challenging. But also, I think the user of an adventure game has a more gratifying um, experience. Uh, a hidden object game, pr probably you can play one or two levels and forget about it and you can take it the next day or whatever. 
in an adventure game, I think uh, if you're hooked, you really want to know what happened. More like a movie life, no? Um, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't go out the movies if I'm really interested in a movie. But a commercial on TV can be very interesting, intense, and short. Yeah. Don't know. Um, so. As I said, no, I hope uh, we really uh, get um, into deeper adventure casual games. But that doesn't mean that hidden object games um, are bad or anything like that. No, I think they're great. Uh, for casual games, it's, it's great that one genre breaks through and does uh, superb numbers. Now, one of the challenges of an adventure game is that it's not really replayable. Um, you know, is that anything that you've addressed or is that something that's just a limitation of the genre? Yeah, again, I would compare with the movies. You can watch a movie twice, but the second time, you know the ending. Probably you'll get another, you get out of details, you pay attention to certain things. You probably will have another experience, even if you know the ending, but you cannot change the ending, or you cannot radically change the story. It wouldn't be the same. So, yeah, th there is a limitation there. Uh, but it's that kind of game. It's, uh, you cannot compare it with Tetris or any other puzzle game. It's a completely different story. So um, that's a weaknesses, a weakness. But the strength is the immersion into something that you cannot do in a puzzle game, which is the story and uh, really getting the flavor of what's going on in that world, um, getting uh, getting transported to that world and um, finding it interesting. So yeah, it has. Uh, how is it? Cons and advantages, no? And so moving forward, what types of games do you hope to make in the future? And any plans coming up? Uh, yeah, there are a few. Um, I'm not sure. Some of them I cannot tell sure. <laughs> a lot of details. But yeah, but we have a few ideas that I find interesting. And um, do you have any last suggestions or advice for indie game developers or casual game developers looking to develop a new type of game or an interesting, you know, different type of game that isn't necessarily originally popular? Yeah, um, I think it's tough. And it gets some time. But I think it has a reward. You try to innovate. It, it is a lot easier to clone something or to copy something that it's already done. So I really would encourage, you know, especially in indie developers, to try to make something new, something fresh and, and different. I'm not talking about adventure games, I'm talking about in general. But again, regarding adventure games, I really hope someone comes up with a great idea and maybe um, new kind of interactions or, I don't know, um, interesting stories or new ways of integrating the story into a game that overtakes dream and well um, explodes in this space. I really hope it. And um, where can they find the games that you have out already? I beg your pardon? Uh, where can they find the games that you were talking about already, like the Drink Chronicles? Where? Yeah. Where you can find it? Well, uh, playfirst.com uh, was launched, Drink Chronicles 2. I think it's only available right now there. Um, but we also have our own website, and well, in Drink Chronicles, I think it's in every single casual game portal. Okay. <laughs> Great. Great. Thank you very much.